Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. I am thrilled with a founder that we have today joining us because it's a founder that not only, you know, he has done it, but he has done it successfully from building it to scaling it, to financing it, to exiting it. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Rishi Bargava. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Excited to share my experiences with the community here. So you were originally born and raised in India. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Lots of fun, I would say. Amazing memories with the uh, with the single focus on how do you continue to improve your life? How do you continue to learn at each stage of life? And that's that's what I kind of uh, uh, remember my childhood as, which is starting from kindergarten. How do you figure out? Uh, to differentiate yourself, move to the next step, be the best in class, uh, and so on and so forth. India, growing up in India, an education system in India is always about being the best. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the culture, you know, the way that you either become an engineer or a doctor, eh? it's unbelievable. But that's it. That's it. Now, 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 in your case, you know, talking about being the best in class, as you were saying, you graduated there from Delhi, you did your computer science degree, and then eventually you see that it's time to come to the U.S. What, why coming to the U.S.? Yeah, so I think um, uh, the the journey to U.S. was an interesting one, right? I mean, graduated from one of the premium colleges in India in engineering. And uh, the first step was, uh, if I look at education system in India, it's amazing at the bachelor's level. But from a master's and PhD level, there is a lot to be fulfilled. There is a lot uh, more that is offered by universities in the United States. So the goal was to come here, do a PhD in computer science. That's what uh, my goal was, and especially in a particular field of networking and systems. So I came here to do a PhD and learn more, but ended up dropping out before doing a PhD. So finished my master's and says, well, PhD is not my thing. So dropped out after master's. And what happened after the master's? So after the master's, I think... Um, uh, took up a job. I, as as part of the master's journey, what I realized was, I really enjoy solving customer problem. So, that's best done in a startup. So, when I joined my first job after master's, it was in a public company, but relatively small public company, ONI Systems. And I was, as a fresh grad coming out. The promise was that I'm going to give it an independent project, being able to build my own thing. And that's what attracted me to that company. Uh, but again, it was tough times. I graduated in 2001 after master's. And uh, it was tough in the sense that, you know what 2001 was, all dot-com bust. It started with that oh, company. Yeah. The stock continued to slide down, 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 down. Oh yeah. Uh, projects got terminated. So started on uh, as I was telling somebody this morning. It's a started on experiencing the toughest time we have all seen, but then saw it again in two thousand eight, and probably now. So uh, that's that's how my beginning of the career was. And obviously, in your career, I mean, very successful. You worked for really big companies. You worked for companies like McAfee. You worked for others like Intel. So 
it took a little bit of time for you to really go at it as an entrepreneur. I think that, you know, the question here that comes to mind is, what do you think, you know, needed to happen for you to really feel that you had, you know, the ducks in a row to really make that leap of faith? Yeah, that's actually a good question, Rahandra. Honestly, looking back, because like hindsight is always twenty twenty. I feel that uh, coming out of engineering in India and then masters, it was not that I was dreaming to be an entrepreneur, right? It was like, hey, just continue to learn, continue to grow. But right after the ONI Systems and CNR job, I joined a startup called Solid Core Systems. That was my first experience as a true startup. And what I realized very quickly was. There is a thrill in starting from a blank slate, right? I mean, I really enjoy saying, hey, what is the problem we are solving? And I was like engineer number two in Solid Core, then became their first product manager. And that was my thinking, which is like as a, as a product manager in the early startup, I really got to see the customer problem. How can I solve it? How can I solve it better? And then continued with that journey. So in some senses, even though I was not a founder at Solid Core System, I experienced building a product and a failure. I mean, Solid Core Systems was not a very successful outcome. It was acquired by McAfee for as much as it had raised. But then also McAfee was an amazing experience, right? I mean, I learned how to build big products, scale products, which has millions of users. And those kind of learnings always helps me as an entrepreneur to make sure what I'm building will scale eventually. So lots, lots of good learnings. And then I found an amazing team. I, I always say, for me, it's team first, idea later as an entrepreneur. Big believer in the right team. Big believer in my co-founders. High, high amount of trust. And that's, that's when I took the leap of faith. So then let's talk about taking the leap of faith. You know, how was that like? Because obviously the Misto, you know, ended up being a smashing success, you know, incredible outcome. You know, first company, first incredible outcome. I mean, that's that's incredible, Rishi. So why? I mean, you had already been, you know, for a while now in the corporate world. Uh, you know, obviously your parents, everyone in India was probably like super proud. You know, you had like the nine to five, you know, the paycheck coming, you know, you know that everyone was taken care of. So so why going you know, after the uncertain path? Yeah, that's actually an excellent question, Alejandro. The, the parent and the family part coming from India is a very interesting one because back then, now the, now the Indian outlook has changed, but back then, the company brand mattered a lot. Leaving a company like McAfee Intel was like, oh my God, who leaves a well, good-paying job for an outcome taking one-third or one-fourth almost of the salary that you're making at that company. What is that like? So it was a shocker when I told my parents and my, my father and mother both worked in a single job their entire career. So it was like, wow, what are you doing this? Did you get fired? What is going on? But I think the, the answer is why take that uncertain path is uh, this itch to go create something new to solve customer problem. Uh, I believe big companies are excellent at scaling, but it is very hard to innovate at a large company. Very, very hard. And I think it's not a function of which company it is. It's just when you're serving a very large customer base, changing or innovating something new is not easy. And I, I went through this thought process introspection and says, I've always now, having experienced solid core, want to do something ground up 
want to solve a customer problem. There is thrill of building something new, building something of your own. So let's do it. Uh, it was a big debate, right? I mean, right around that time, um, right before uh, we started uh, Demisto, I had uh, I had one kid at home, and we were going through this whole discussions. Like, as a family, am I doing the right thing? What is the risk? And we said, no, it's okay. I think let's take the chances. I'm a believer that there's always a second chance if this doesn't work out. Corporate job, take another corporate job, but wanted to give it a chance. And the second side, by the way, as, as I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really lucky to have co-founders. Uh, solo entrepreneurs are very, it's very hard for solo entrepreneurs. And for me, there was support. Sat down, discussed with three other co-founders, went through it, had clarity on the idea. We were all in this together. So there was there was support together to go through this, and I think that that helped a lot. I mean, you were talking about the um, perhaps the 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 lack of innovation in larger corporations. You know, they focus more on scaling versus you know the the you know yeah. innovation. With the Misto, why did you guys think that this problem was big enough or was meaningful enough for you to really take the risk? Yeah. So I think even with Demisto and now with Disco, I think this is one area where we have always taken a very, uh, I, I call it open-minded approach to go survey the market. Uh, at Demisto, uh, before we started, we interviewed roughly 50 customers over a period of two months. And we started, our theory was working on one idea, which is doing a better endpoint security with a different angle. We started to pitch that idea. Every customer said, no, that's not the problem I'm worried about. I have many other products solving it. And after first set of 10, 15 interviews, we switched our questions to these customers. We said, okay, tell me your number one problem that you're facing. And how can we solve it? So I think, why did we think it's a big space to go after? The answer is because the potential customers told us to. I mean, it was literally, I, I tell it, it's like, we didn't think of something new. We just asked the people, what is the problem that is worth solving? What can we help you with? And then go from there. And that's what happened. So we said, okay, this is the problem that people are facing. And then we had all the right inklings around us that another company, Phantom Cyber, was winning the RSA competition in Innovators, which means they are doing something amazing. Some other company, Resilient Systems, was acquired by IBM, which is doing something amazing. So we said, this problem of security operations is a problem worth solving. How do we build a complete solution? And then we started there and validated that. So for the people that are listening to really understand it, what ended up being the business model? How did you guys make money? Yeah, so I think this one, this is where, by the way, our learnings of working in a big company, all the founders uh, comes in handy, right? I mean, it's, it's not about building that amazing product that everybody wants. It's also about building that amazing product and figuring out the right go-to-market, right business model. And uh, from my experience, what, what we really ended up doing was the business model needs to reflect who's your buyer, what's the product, how does the product work and sell, all of these combined. So 
we innovated a lot, right? So the business model, we said, hey, it's an enterprise sale. Large organizations need us. It's not that a startup would buy our product, which means you need to have salespeople, which means you need to have sales engineering. But at the same time, the user of our product is that security engineer. And if that is security engineer, can we create a free tool for the security engineer? Can we go out, reach out to them via other means? So lots of different innovations on building a community. We built this large community of security engineers who then started to love our product, but the buyer was their manager or their director. But when we walked into the enterprise, they already knew about us. So it's it was a two-pronged approach to the business model. And they also... How much capital did you guys raise prior to the acquisition? We we had uh, a total of three rounds. Uh, first was six, then was a 20, um, and then the last one was 42, something like that. So uh, close to 70, or a little over 70. That's, that's how much we raised over three rounds. In fact, I think the story of acquisition is an interesting one. We were on to our executing very well, um, raised our C round with an amazing venture capitalist. Greylock team was amazing working with that team. We were heads down executing and then uh, Palo Alto Networks came around and made an offer that we couldn't refuse as an entire team. Well, well, we, we can't leave it just there. We got a double click here for the people that are listening, Rishi, because the outcome was smashing. Smashing outcome. I mean, 560 million. I mean, unbelievable. That's that's literally, you know, they are the 10x that people were hoping for, you know, on the investment side. So, so definitely, you know, tell us, make us, make us like an insider of that process. How, how did that process, you know, st got started? How did that unfold? And, and what was it like all the way up until the closing? Yeah, I think it's more, it's more 20x than 10x in most cases from an investment. Uh, Even better. Uh, uh, but I think so. The, the, the way I think I say all of these things happened in uh, because of the amazing customer growth and the product adaptability. So the way like I would take even a step back, right? I mean, uh, the first version of our product we released in middle of uh, 2016. So company started 2015, September, October, middle of 2016, first version of the product. And the first seven months in sales, we got roughly a million dollar in sales. So that was like, hey, the product is needed by the market. We really need to go um, scale it. Uh, the first full year of selling, we quadrupled that number. The next year, we, caught, we, we did five times the previous year. So from a scale perspective, we are seeing amazing business growth. And right around that, the market also realized that this is a category. I mean, when we started, there was no category for security operations, uh, automation and research uh, reporting. Uh, by the way, the SOAR word came around, multiple acronyms changed, and Gartner changed it many times. And the point is, between us and the other players in the market, our competitors, we created a proper category, we created a proper market. And that's what triggered really the conversations with uh, the likes of Palo Alto Networks, which is like, okay, this is a category that is emerging. It's going to be an important place where Palo Alto Networks need to play in. And the first conversation was, uh, uh, it's like, okay, how can we build this partner, acquire all of the opens things on the table, but this is an important place. This is an important category that they wanted to play in. 
And then things started from there and eventually came to the number 560. But I think it was all a function of the customer growth we were experiencing. And now if you look at that product, that is an extensive like leader in its category, doing very well. Cortex XOR is the product that's called. Very proud of the team continuing to deliver on that inside of Palo Alto Networks. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. How did you guys, when, when you were discussing this at a board level, you know, and you had now the the interest of Palo Alto and networks, and, and you guys, like you were saying, you were quadrupling, you know, the, the, the size of the business, you know, year over year. Selling to them versus keep building. What was that conversation like? Why did you decide it was time to sell? It's a very tough conversation, right? Because as a company, we are doing well and everybody is bullish, optimistic, business going very good. Our competitive win rates are in high 80s. So on all fronts, there are signs that this company can continue to grow and do well as an independent company. But at the same time, I think there is an opportunity where from a financial outcome, it's an amazing outcome for everybody, every investor, every employee, every founder. So that's a good path. Could you continue to grow? Yes. And I think there was a lot of opinion on the table. I mean, I think it was not uh, where it started. No, everybody said yes. It's like, no, no, no. We have a huge opportunity. You can grow independently, continue to grow. And then there was this like, hey, we have come a long way. And uh, Palo Alto Networks is an amazing partner. Like uh, all of my memories at Palo Alto Networks was amazing memories, right? I mean, they did the right thing to invest in the product. When we engaged with the Palo Alto Networks team, it was like, guys, this is not a product we are acquiring to slim down the investment. We're going to invest in it, double down, grow the product. So eventually we believe it's an exciting opportunity where even after going in, we can go and increase the adoption of the product, grow the customer base, aligns with the mission. So eventually, I think everybody aligned on it. It was not that uh, there were oppositions. It's just like this whole debate, which is long-term growth, short-term growth. 
but everybody aligned eventually. So everyone aligned, 560 million. I mean, I'm sure that felt good, Rishi. You know, what, what was, tell us, is there anything that you wanted to buy that uh, you were finally able to buy? I don't know, Alejandro, this is a very interesting question. It's like financial outcome, yes, very happy. Uh, excellent outcome for the family, for the founders, every employee was happy. But I think looking back, I wouldn't say I was able to buy something uh, that I wanted to buy. It was more of, I really feel that, like, if, if you really ask me my biggest accomplishment, what I really, from the bottom of my heart is, every employee that worked for Demisto wants to work with us again. We really had thrill working together. And that's, that's, uh, that's the biggest accomplishment. But of course, I mean, transparently, honestly, yes, it's good to be financially independent. It feels good. I was like, there's, there's no, I'm not going to say it's not good there. I mean, financially independent, that's financial freedom. 560 million, come on now. Now, in your case, you did the, um, the, the vesting and resting, as they would call it. You know, then you joined Palo Alto Networks. You know, you did the whole integration thing. And you stayed there for about three years. And as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So here you go again. So tell us about now what you're doing with your latest baby. You know, at what point, you know, the idea of solving a problem that was meaningful enough, you know, came knocking and, and how did you decide to go about it? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, there is no resting. If you were to know Nikesh, CEO of Paul Alto Networks, there is no resting. I think we worked <laughs> very, very hard in a different way, but amazing journey there, right? I mean, product growth, adoption, integration, uh, new modules. So overall, I think all amazing experiences there growth-wise. But again, as, as you said, yes, entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, I think goes back to the same thing, amazing team. We said, guys, I think we have given our all for this product to grow, put a very strong succession team in place. And we said, okay, let's go to our next challenge. And I I truly believe is like if you want to be a successful entrepreneurship again, entrepreneur again, you need to go back to zero. So we all said, okay, back to the basics. Again, very very um, I call it first principles. Start to think of the idea building. This time we have taken on a very big challenge. I think the challenge is how do I enable authentication in applications? Like if I look at every application that is being built around us, right? Any application, they need to build a user login experience. And that needs to be secure and that needs to be easy. Like how easy can it be a B2C login experience? Just an OTP. That's what WhatsApp did. Uh, we live in a world where most of the B2C applications or B2P applications have horrible login experiences, right? Username, password, you forget the password, you reset the password. So I think the mission here is can I enable simple login experience for every app out there with 10 lines of codes, right? 10 lines of code, passwordless login in your app. And that's what we are enabling. Big challenge. I mean, in fact, if uh, being, being uh, completely transparent and honest here, it is not an easy challenge. I mean, enabling these passwordless experiences with the simplicity needs a lot of innovation on the product side, needs a lot of innovation on the go-to-market side, making it aware every application can build it. But that's what we have taken on. Uh, very excited where we are in the stages. We raised our first round of money, launched the product. Amazing feedback so far. In the last, we, we launched it on Feb 15th, uh, about a little over a month ago. 
and amazing uh, customer adoption already and traction that we are seeing. And for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so I think, by the way, there's uh, uh, on the business model front there, we, we are big believers that we will be able to do uh, good as a business only if we focus on adoption at even smaller startup levels. So uh, what we are doing is there is a free forever tier, and that is available for startups that are early in career, early in their journey. So up to 7,500 users, it's free. They can adopt it. They can build it really quickly and don't need to pay till they scale to a much later stage. And once they start to scale, we charge by monthly active users or number of their customers. Um, and the model linearly scales. I think one of the things I hated as I built Demisto and other start, uh, worked at other startups is anytime there's a step jump in money, the startups hate it, right? You're starting to pay nothing, nothing, nothing. And now you are paying a big amount of money. So we want a linear scaling model. Let the startup scale. We are there. So that's one. And then there's an opportunity to go to larger organizations and actually enable passwordless login for those as well. Now, you're you're a very humble guy, Rishi. You know, and I'm sure that the people that are listening are probably, you know, uh, really getting that too. I mean, when you say raised our first round, we're talking about a seed round of fifty-three million dollars, Rishi. You know, the median the median seed is two million. I mean, wow. I mean, how? I mean, we're talking about people that invested in this seed round, like GGV Capital, Lightspeed Venture Partners. I mean, a seed financing, fifty-three million from these rock stars. Why so much money, and also from these people? Yeah, so I, I think Alejandro, the the answer is the problem is a big problem. Money coming from investors is always, I call it, uh, to, be, to be honest, right, when I look at myself as a founder and RS as a founding team, this is, this, is, uh, this is not really a luxury or this is not what I'm saying. Hey, I'm proud of raising 53. This is a debt to us, right? I mean, investors oh, yeah. are putting this money in to build a scalable company. So why this size? Because we founders and investors believe that there is a huge problem to be solved here right? Applications are being built at a faster pace than ever before. And all of them are struggling from a security and an onboarding perspective. So big problem. Uh, also, to build a scalable service, you really need to build this globally scalable, globally distributed, infrastructure-wise, a lot of technology innovation, right? I mean, we want to do it at a scale which can help every customer in the world. It's not like, hey, let's start with the US customers and go from there. We're already talking global scale, global customers. And even a customer in the world will have users globally in today's world, right? I mean, every app wants to become global. So a lot of um, technology innovation being done. That's another reason that we need funding. And three, I think to me, um, the way I think of this as uh, this is a long cycle. I'm investing in free forever tier. We're going to spend money in that customer acquisition cost. So we wanted something which lasts us a good three years time frame, so that we are able to build an amazing product for our customers, launch it globally and scale it before we need to go worry about funding. So obviously there, you know, it's a big, uh, big vision now that, uh, that you guys are going after, you know, big problem, big vision. Imagine 
you were to go to sleep tonight, Rishi, and you wake up in a world where the vision of this scope is fully realized. What does that world look like? I think the, at a personal level, and Slavic, our CEO, tells this story amazingly well. It says, his family is not using password managers. My family is not using password managers. I'm not dealing with password. So that's the first thing, right? Imagine I'm logging into a website, no password needed. I'm logging in, zipping through. So that's first thing in this world where this vision is realized. Two, I think, uh, again, I have mentioned this many times, I'm, I'm all about the team. Uh, and my proudest moments were that everybody in Demisto wanted to work with us again. That's my second, which is I'm excited about, which is, hey, there is a team, there is a buzzing team, everybody is excited, working and realizing this vision of no passwords. And then happy customers is the third thing, which is, to me, there is some pride about telling my kids and saying, hey, you know, that application uses my product and the reason why you were able to zip through into this new app that you as a teenager is using is because they use us. We onboarded. It was easy. That's what I, I dream of this today. So we're talking about the future here. Let's talk about the past. And let's talk about the past with a lens of reflection, Rishi. So imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I take you back in time. I take you back in time to that moment where you're in corporate America you are experiencing the frustration for the lack of innovation. You're wondering about maybe doing something on your own, you know, taking a problem that is meaningful enough for you. And you're able to have a chat with your younger self. You're able to go back in time and have a sit down with that younger Rishi and give that younger Rishi one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Stuff, an interesting one. So first of all, I think, as I mentioned, right, even McAfee, every, uh, I look back and I'm, maybe I joke around, it's like, I'm a very optimistic person, be positive, it's in my blood. But I think the, the, the fundamental thing I believe is every job in my past, including the larger companies have taught me something. One of the things that I truly believed is you can learn a lot from scaling a product. So if I were to go back and give my younger self advices, uh, I would say be a better uh, networker, build more bridges at the larger organization with your customers. And I am starting to do more and more of that, which is all of us, when we are very busy day to day, especially for entrepreneurs, you have so many different things that you can cover. One of the things that gets deprioritized is that connection with your customer, is that connection with your peer. And that's what I look back, right? I mean, growing uh, like the early stages in my career at McAfee, I met a lot of customers. I learned a lot, but I never connected with them after I had that first meeting. So if I were to do something different, I would become a better networker, I would connect with our customers more, engage with them more, maintain that connection. So that's one thing I would give, tell every entrepreneur is like one of the, one of the biggest assets is as you meet new customers, meet new peers, founders, you learn from them, but maintain that connections, continue to um, enhance those connections. I love that. So Rishi, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do that? I think uh, LinkedIn is the best way. I mean, I, I truly believe LinkedIn has uh, uh, kept us connected. I'm a, a big believer 
in connecting with people, learning more. Uh, so LinkedIn is the best way to reach out, connect. And I, I usually, I, I actually attend a lot of founder conferences, founder uh, places. Uh, so if you're there, would love to chat. Amazing. Well, Richie, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. No, it's been very exciting for me as well. I think uh, uh, I, I loved your questions of taking me back to the past. Uh, helped me relive my fun memories. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.